0: Before I really get going this morning, I want to return to an image that I used a few weeks ago and I want to add a thought or two uh, to it. You might remember how I spoke of the invasion of Normandy that occurred on June the 6th of 1944. It was referred to as D-Day. In fact, 4,000 Allied troops were killed on that day by German soldiers. And yet even with that many have spoken of the Normandy invasion as the beginning of the end of World War II. The tide began to turn. And uh, page two. There we go. But V-Day, and this was a new term to me, V-E-Day. I had never heard that. Uh, It actually refers to Victory in Europe Day, because there were things that it continued on then in the Pacific. But VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, didn't actually occur until 11 months later, the following spring, May the 8th of 1945 was when the Allies formally accepted the unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. Though they saw the end of the war coming, and though they already proclaimed D-Day as the beginning of the end, there were still battles that needed to be fought. I want to read our text for this morning and then we'll come back and make comment. Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true and it was a great conflict and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision in those days i daniel was mourning for three weeks i ate no delicacies no meat or wine entered my mouth nor did i anoint myself at all for the full three weeks on the 24th day of the first month as i was standing on the bank of the great river that is the tigris i lifted up my eyes and looked and behold A man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left all alone, and saw the great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Notice, not on my feet. Set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the last day that you from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me again one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said "O man greatly loved, fear not peace be with you be strong and of good courage and as he spoke to me i was strengthened and said let my lord speak for you have strengthened me and then he said do you know why i have come to you But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against thee except Michael, your prince. This is the reading of God's word. A phrase. Came up in our text today that has been so misunderstood. In verse 14, we heard the messenger say, Michael came to make you understand what is to happen in the latter days. And we need to think about this very carefully. I've returned to this image of D-Day because many of us have experienced the ongoing battles of daily living battling temptations, trials, tribulations, painful family experiences and hopefully we all believe that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was victorious over the ruler of this world that though according to Genesis 3, the heel of our Savior was bruised, it was the head of the serpent that was crushed. Victory has been secured. Even though it often doesn't appear to be the case, does it? Yet, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus was a spiritual D-Day initiating the beginning of the end and the final resurrection and judgment day will be the ultimate V-Day victory day as we see Jesus face to face but for Daniel the latter days was not a reference to judgment day it was a reference to the end of the era The period of time regarding the specific prophecy. Notice first of all, it even says to your people in the latter days. Now I've shared with you that in Old Testament prophecy, the latter days most often refers to the time period reaching forward to the Messianic Age when God would come to dwell on earth, which was in fact Jesus who was enthroned as the king of his kingdom on that great ascension. And in the New Testament, the same phrase is used again, but the reference refers to the entire period of time from the ascension to the return of our Lord. We are living in the last days. And we have been living in the last days since Jesus' ascension. A few examples. Acts 2.15 When Peter addressed the crowd on Pentecost quoting the prophet Joel spirit and they shall prophesy Peter is saying what you all are seeing on Pentecost 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus that is a fulfillment of what Joel said would happen in the last days secondly Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. I could go to 1 John 2.18 where John says, Children, it is the last hour. We know that it's the last hour. Or 1 Peter 1.20, speaking of Jesus, where Peter refers to the lamb without blemish or spot, and he writes, We who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Need I go on? I could. There are several other passages. We are living in the last days. And the prophecies of Daniel from the 6th century B.C. have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 A.D. And as I've already told you they were so specific and on target that many have tried to date the book of Daniel as late as 70 A.D. For instance one of the best-known commentators, a man by the name of Norman Porteus. He dates the book shortly before 164 B.C. Now, that's problematic, since there is a fragment of the book among the Dead Sea Scrolls that precedes that date. And also... In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, verse 14, chapter 20, and verse 20, chapter 28, verse 3, three references to Daniel in Ezekiel that are dated by most scholars to be in the 6th century BC. I am one who believes that Daniel wrote in the 6th century BC. Now, in terms of the setting, Again, chapter 10 gives us a precise dating. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is now the third year of that ruler who came in who was a co-regent with Darius the Mede, and that happened in 536 B.C., and we learned from Ezra 1.1 that the first year was when Cyrus made the decree for the people to return. Now it's the third year. But not many had returned to Jerusalem. Not many took advantage of the opportunity because many, such as Daniel, had lived in Babylon for what was almost the full 70 years. Daniel at this point No longer the teenager he was when he was given the new name and refused to eat the diet back in the first chapters, about 14 to 15 years of age. Now, he's almost 90 years old. What advantage for traveling all those miles back when he's set, established, and many didn't. But we also know that those who did return, and we saw that as we went through Ezra and Nehemiah, those who did return experienced all kinds of hardship. And by the third year, which is now when Daniel is having this vision, work on the temple and work on Jerusalem had come to a halt. Those enemies, the the one that I always remember because of his name, sand ballot Uh, they had risen up and they were able to get enough forces together to stop the work on the walls and on the construction of the temple and so Daniel is in mourning Uh, there's a second note that's even more uh, precise it says the revelation came to Daniel on the 24th day of the first month the month of Nisan First month, Passover. They started the calendar over with the Passover. And so now, since it's the 24th day, the Passover is completed. It only lasted three weeks plus the weekend. That was when they celebrated. They commemorated their deliverance from bondage. And now... Three years after they had once again supposedly been set free, things had changed. Construction had stopped. And because of that sad condition of his people, Daniel wasn't able to enjoy the Passover season. He wasn't able to rejoice as others were doing. Instead, it says he had been mourning for three weeks, 21 of the 24 days. Give had been mourning. Took no food, no drink. He didn't use any ointment upon his body. In other words, no baths. Because things weren't going well in Jerusalem. Now let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were so concerned about the state of our church the state of Christianity in general the state of the world the community in which we live remember Paul when he went to Athens said that he was greatly distressed seeing the idolatry that was rampant Daniel is mourning, he has been for three weeks because of what's going on in his homeland. Additionally, we're told that the vision occurred away from Babylon. Daniel was by the bank of the great river Tigris. Now, this is a little unusual in and of itself. And so we have to see that there's something important about it. Normally, what was the great river? The great river Euphrates. That spoke of Babylon. The great river Tigris spoke of Persia. Things weren't going well. Why he was there, we don't know. We could only speculate. And speculation is not going to give us any help. But what we do know is that he's still Daniel. He is still in prayer. I think it's interesting that... Daniel, the first verse, Daniel is spoken of in the third person. And it even includes his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. We haven't heard that for a bit now. And I think it's because it's reminding us how all the way from the beginning he has been faithful. And in terms of the vision itself, he tells us three descriptive words about the vision. First, the message was true. Second, the vision was also turbulent, one of great conflict or suffering. And finally, it says the vision was transparent. In other words, Daniel understood the message and he had an understanding of the vision. And yet he was troubled. I I think we need to take note of this. I think it speaks volumes to many who I believe are false prophets. Having these visions of things that are going to come, do they appear like they're in mourning? Do they appear like they are fasting? Or are they kind of celebrating? Let me tell you about what I experienced, this great vision I had. So let's do a little digging in. I think a key phrase in order for us to understand the significance of these three final chapters are the words found in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I already stated, this wasn't an exciting jubilant time as it should have been. The message was terrifying. Terrifying in many ways because the work at Jerusalem and the temple had halted enemies, had threatened the workers. I want to use an outline that comes from James Smith, his book, The Major Prophets. It's a, it's a four-fold outline, and, and I don't want to take credit for it, but, and I'm not really good very often at assimilation, but he has four A words, and I think those can help us remember. And so I'm going to borrow that outline from him. But first of all, in terms of this chapter, he says the first thing we notice is the appearance of the angel in verses 5 to 9. In the midst of Daniel's mourning, in the midst of his meditation, he becomes aware of the presence of one who had the appearance of a man. Dressed in linen, emblematic of purity, a garment of the priest, his waist was girded with a belt of pure gold, the heavy cloth embroidered with gold, an insignia of high rank, Who was this man? We're not told. We're not told. There are many, because of the similarities with Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, there are many who believe that this is the Son of God, Jesus. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because He tells us why He was detained. He tells us that he was in a struggle and had to have help. Now, I don't know about your understanding of Jesus, your theology, but my understanding of Jesus is that if he's in a battle, he's not going to need any help. This is an angel, an angel of high rank. Now, I don't understand, but I believe I don't understand all of the aspects of the spiritual warfare that is behind what we know of. But you know what? I'm not the most brilliant man there is. And I don't understand the wind. I don't understand, and I've never seen the wind. But I know it's true, I know it's there. I've never seen a big fan that starts the wind. Have you? A little funny story on our mom. When I was ministering at Martinton and also at Darrow, we were headed to Darrow, and and I told my mom, I said, Mom, some of the people at the church don't like the big wind vanes. Mom thought they were just tremendous coming from Kentucky. I said, some of them don't like them. They won't even let them be on their property so be careful what you say. And my mom, she said, well, I can understand that. I wouldn't like all the wind either. I said, Mom, they're not fans. (laughs) Do you understand the wind? But do you believe that there is wind living where we live? I mean, I've seen the evidence. And I have seen the evidence of the spiritual warfare that is going on every day around us. I believe that there are demons. I believe that there are angels. And I believe that we don't go to our knees often enough asking for help in battling the demons and getting help from the angels that are there to help us. The one thing I noticed though is Daniel said, when he experienced a vision and those around him didn't, he said, I was left alone. Have you ever had that feeling? And Daniel says, he became weak and pale. The impact of the vision added to the weakness caused by three weeks of fasting. And so when he heard the voice of the angel, he fell to the ground in a trance. And that's when our text shifts to speak of the assurance of the angel in verses 10 to 14. Daniel felt the touch of a hand. Is there anything more reassuring than the calming touch? of a hand when you're struggling. Jesse and I were at Walmart in Rensselaer and there was a lady that we all know, name unmentioned, that we saw we hadn't seen for a while. And I just walked over and I turned sideways and I put my hand out and she fell into my armpit and I gave her a little hug. And she looked up and said, Thank you. I needed that. A touch. The angel set him trembling on his hands and knees. And the angel addressed Daniel in order to assure him of several things. First, the angel assured Daniel that he had standing with God. He was a man highly esteemed. Second, he assured Daniel that he had important information which Daniel needed to understand. He assured Daniel that he had nothing to fear. I heard somebody this two weeks ago say on the radio, I want you to know that you've heard people say that you shouldn't fear there is in the Bible 365 times. Well it's not, it's only 80 sometimes, she said. It depends how you do the search. There is a phrase for do not fear, fear not, or you don't have to be afraid over 365 times. One for every day of the year that we live. And Daniel was told you don't have to be afraid. That you should stand up like a man to receive the revelation from God. (coughs) He assured Daniel that his words of prayer had been heard from the very first utterance. You see, Daniel had been trying to understand these revelations of chapters 8 and 9. By humbling himself, he thought that God might grant additional inspiration and insight. And he was right. And the angel had been dispatched in response to Daniel's petitions. Fifth, he assured Daniel that he had a legitimate reason for not appearing sooner. That battle, that battle with the king of Persia. You know what happened? Shortly after this, Persia was defeated. Greece did conquer Persia. And Michael, one of the chief princes in the heavenly hierarchy, had come to help that angel in the struggle because there was a spiritual warfare going on and they were trying to influence the Persian court as well as later those of Greece, uh, but especially King Cyrus to be favorable to the Jews. And finally he assured Daniel that he had come to give him understanding of what would happen to the Jews in the latter days, which we'll come to next Sunday. Now let me remind you again. In the Old Testament prophecy, this phrase always reaches out to the Messianic age. The time of Christ's first coming. And so when Daniel heard the words of the angel, he turned his face to the ground and became speechless. But at this point we're told of the assistance of the angel. Verses 15 to 19. One, in the likeness of the children of man, touched his lips. The touch to strengthen his mouth, to give him the ability to speak. Actually, to give him the ability to speak his complaint. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is also willing to hear our complaints? That's one of the things I've loved about our study of Psalms to see how often the psalms are voicing some of that anger, some of those negative feelings about what's going on. And God's big enough. He can handle it. (coughs) So, this angel touches Daniel's mouth and he begins to speak. He's strengthened. And Daniel himself says, Oh, I was strengthened. And I said, Lord... Let let my Lord speak, for you strengthen me. And that's why when we're given the assertion of the angel, verse 22, actually the first verse of chapter 11. Why had this warrior angel come to Daniel? Well, the angel asserted the importance of the vision and message to follow in two ways. First, he indicated the priority of the assignment he had been given to communicate the message to Daniel, to give him hope. But he also needed to complete his mission, his mission against Persia, because of how they had turned against God. And not only that, but he was going to be involved with when the Prince of Greece would come. Now remember, all of this is happening before it had actually taken place. Only Michael, he said, your angel, an angel assigned to watch and care for God's people, only Michael was of sufficient rank and power to engage in that high level warfare against that warrior angel. Two years earlier, in the first year of Darius the Mede, that same warrior angel had come to the assistance of Michael in another spiritual battle. Now Michael would be locked in battle with Satan's deputies to Persia and Greece. Second, the angel underscored the importance of the subsequent revelation by his summary. <coughs> I'll tell you what is inscribed in the book or the writing of truth. Here, heavenly truth is expressed in earthly terms. Why was the battle going so hard with the Prince of Persia? Because he knew that if that angel got there and spoke the words of God that Persia was going to be defeated, once those words were spoken by God, it would take place. So that big battle's going on. So in closing, here's the challenge. Daniel 10, I think, reveals a connection between rebellious earthly powers and evil cosmic powers. In other words, a direct correlation between evil government and governors and demonic influence. Isn't that Paul's perspective? He warns the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons not to God and I do not want you to be participant with the demons. Romans 8 Isn't it This authority over the demonic realm that gives Paul reason to exult. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's my challenge for you to hear. Be armed for spiritual warfare. Paul will write to the Christians at Ephesus. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And you know what they are. A breastplate of righteousness. Shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness that's given. A shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. A helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you hear anything for the back? No. There is no armor piece for our back because we're not supposed to be running away from the devil. We're supposed to be standing firm speaking the truth. Secondly, we need to know that human earthly powers are no match for God. I've already shared with you many times, you know where I stand. I am very pessimistic about the future of the United States of America. I see the evil growing more and more on a regular basis. I see freedoms being attacked more and more on a regular basis. Just this week, I read once again about how there has been a, what do you call it, legal document filed because supposedly reading the Bible on the open air networks is allowing pornography because passages in the Bible speak about parts of bodies constantly. Constantly constantly attacking Christianity. In Colossae, Paul's confident that the truth of the gospel will prevail over heretical demonic teaching because he says in chapter 2, verse 15 of Colossians, having disarmed the powers and authorities, He, that is Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, trying over, triumphing over them by the cross. They thought the cross was their victory over Jesus. Jesus proved that the cross was His victory over them. And finally, take heart. Your love. Your love. Your love by... The members of this congregation. You're loved by other Christians. I have friends who have traveled who have broken down, who have said, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do, and somebody stopped and they said they were a Christian. They helped us out. Brothers and sisters. God loves you. Remember what John 3:16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved. Now, you can take that to mean the extent of the love. But you can also take that to mean God loved in such a way. In such a way that He was willing to sacrifice. You're loved. I I would be greatly tempted right now if this was a group of high schoolers uh, or young college people to say, turn to the person next to them and just say, you are loved. Because there are so many in that age group that are struggling with feelings of acceptance, feelings of worth. You're loved. Let's pray.